Well, good morning to you. You ready to get into God's Word? We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're in chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 6. Uh, I was actually going to go all the way to the end of the book today. My, my original intention was to wrap things up and uh, to preach through verse 18 today, but I've thought better of it. Um, I've, I've enjoyed this series through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians so much. We're going to squeeze a little bit more out of it. Can we do that? Uh, so I'm only going to go to verse 13 today. We'll wrap this series up actually two weeks from today. Why two weeks, you may be wondering. Um, I'm going to be away next Sunday, all right? So I'm going to have to, I was going to try to wrap things up before the service or before I went away. I'll be away next week, but we're going to come back next week. I want you to be praying for Pastor Danny. He is going to be preaching next Sunday, all right? Uh, so pray for him. You don't want to miss next week. Um, if you were here last week, you know that David was away in, on vacation. Uh, Danny stepped up and led the musical part of our worship. He's going to preach next week. Uh, one Sunday, I'm going to have him come up here and do it all, all right? He'll lead me, you know, like a one-man band. He'll be a one-man worship service, all right? But not next week. He's just going to preach. Um, if anything you know about Danny Heath is that the man knows how to work, and he gets busy working. And so uh, come back next week and support him. By the way, that's the theme of our text today, getting busy and getting to work. That's what Paul's going to be talking about here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, because working is a good thing. It's, it's a good thing to work, though not everybody thinks so. Came across a story of a, of a man uh, who went to the doctor's wife. Uh, was, att was attending with him. They went to the doctor's office. When the checkup was over, uh, the, the doctor surprisingly dismissed the man and asked the, the wife to stick around. He wanted to have a conversation with her uh, privately. And so uh, the, the husband stepped out and the, the doctor very somberly says, look, I'm going to ask you, if you just, just have a seat. I've got something to share with you, very important. And this is what he said. He said, your husband is suffering from a very severe stress disorder and if you don't do what I ask, he's not going to make it. Here's what I want you to do, he said. Get up early each morning and fix him a healthy breakfast. Make him a nutritious lunch and prepare a really special dinner every night. Be pleasant at all times. Don't burden him with chores or discuss, discuss your problems with him. You'll need to do almost all the work around the house. And you, you can't nag him about anything. If you do, if, and if you can do this for a year... Your husband will completely regain his health. And so as they were driving home, <laughs> I'm going to assume your wife's not here, all right? As they were driving home, the husband turned and said, what in the world did the doctor say to you? To which she replied, well, honey, he says you're not going to make it. <laughs> work. Some of us like it and some of us run from it. That's our topic today. Uh, work is not a bad thing. Paul's going to be encouraging the Thessalonian believers to not be idle, to not be disorderly, to not be lazy, uh, but to, and to also not grow weary in doing good. Work is good. And so we're going to read about this beginning in verse 6 here in chapter 3. So why don't you go ahead and stand with me? It's our practice as we open up God's Word to read it before I proclaim it, uh, to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 6 down to verse 13. And here's how it reads. 
Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would, not, we, would, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Let's pray. Lord, so encouraged by your word. And Lord, I'm also thankful that I'm proclaiming God's word to a people who by and large love you and love to serve you and love to serve the church. They are busy doing good. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to not grow weary in doing so. Lord, I'm also aware that there could be some who are hearing this message today um, who may not be doing all they can for the kingdom. They may just be lazy living their lives out before the world. But Lord, if they're followers of you, that should not be. And so I pray that this message will be an encouragement to them to get up and to get busy doing good. It's all for your glory, Lord. And so we ask that you, pro- you let this message as, as it is proclaimed speak into the lives and hearts of, the, of your people, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Paul's words here in this text are really born out of a concern that he had for some of the Thessalonians, not all of them, because for some reason, word is getting back to Paul that for some reason, some of them are lazy. They're idle. For one reason or another, they've they've quit their jobs. They've not taken up new jobs. They're they're living off of the benefits of others and the the uh, 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 graciousness of others. And I'll get into those reasons why, potentially why they're not getting busy for the Lord and why they're they're getting lazy. But I just want to begin to walk through this passage. In fact, if you go back to verse 6 and see the command that Paul gives right off the bat here in this text, he says, Now we command you brothers... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Paul begins here with a command, meaning it's not an option, brother. It's not an option, sister. It is a command. It's an imperative. Note that it's not just Paul's command. He gives it in the name, as he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just Paul's idea. It's the Lord's idea. It's all under the authority of Jesus. And yet this command is affectionately being made. It's being made to the brothers. He's like, I'm commanding you, but I'm also telling you as a brother in the faith. It's a reminder from Paul that he saw these Thessalonians as family, that he cared for them. He loves them, wants what's best for them. And sometimes loving someone and wanting what's best for them is to tell them things they don't want to hear and command them to do things that they do not want to do. Well, on this particular occasion, his command was simply, keep away from any Christian, any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord to the tradition that you receive from us. That idea of walking in idleness 
It, it, the, the, it can sometimes be translated, that, that phrase, as walking in a disorderly manner or living a disorderly life. It means that you're not submitting your life to order or discipline in your life. In general, this can be expressed in all kinds of ways, but the, the passage that we are looking at really narrows it down on what Paul really had in mind when he was saying that they were walking disorderly or living disorderly lives. First of all, Paul says that they're not living in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. This is not the first time, by the way, that Paul has mentioned traditions that he had passed on to the Thessalonian believers. We first encountered it back in chapter 2, verse 15, when he said this, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. We talked about what Paul meant there by traditions. Really what that meant was, a tradition, by the way, is a practice that is handed down from a respected authority figure. And so Paul was saying, look, as an authority figure in the church, I've handed down to you some authoritative teaching. And so for Christians, that would be the Word of God. Paul says, look, I've handed the Word of God to you. I've, I've given you the gospel. And so when he's talking about the tradition that had been passed on to them, he's talking about the proclamation of the gospel and following God's Word. And so the disorderliness that Paul is talking about is that they're not furthering the mission. In fact, they're not doing much at all. They're just sitting down doing nothing. That's why when Paul says further down, he's talking about those not willing to work, those not busy at work. And that's what this word is, why we should translate this word not just as disorderly, but as idle, doing nothing. Because some in that church were doing absolutely nothing. They're undisciplined, lazy. And so Paul is very concerned about it, very concerned, which is why he commands them to keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And so if I could summarize this first command in verse 6 in in a charge to you and to me in regards to getting busy doing the work of the Lord, number one would be this, to get away from lazy people. When Paul talks about avoiding uh, and keeping away from any brother who's walking in, in, in idleness, he's talking about getting away from lazy people. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul is saying kick them out of the church. Uh, he will talk a little bit later, further down. He'll, he'll say, look, you don't want to treat them as an enemy. You don't want to warn, but you, wanna, you do want to warn them as a brother. But what Paul is really getting at when he tells them that you should keep away from these lazy folks, these, those that are idle, he's talking about being guarded. If you don't want to be lazy, you need to be careful about who you're hanging around and be sure that you're not hanging around those and being influenced by those in the church who are lazy. And so his concern is about how those that are idle are going to influence those that are not. Excuse me here. (laughs) I've got this little... (coughs) Just a second, I'm sorry. Um, anybody else feeling a little thirsty right now? Anybody got a little catch in your throat? Nobody yawned at all, did they? You get the point I'm getting at here? There is a thing about social contagion. And there's things that some behaviors that one person does enable someone else to suddenly embrace that. I've noticed the many times that I've stood up here and and I've legitimately had a a catch in my throat and I dig into my pocket and I pull out one of of my uh, 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 cough drops that I suddenly start to hear people in the congregation going, (coughs) 
Or if, if I do pick up a bottle and I begin to drink, suddenly people in the congregation start going, boy, I sure wish I had a bottle of water right now. You know, that's behavior of one person that affects somebody else. And Paul actually is concerned about the lazy behavior of some that are within the church and how it's impacting other people, which is why he is saying, stay away, keep away from those that are lazy, because their lazy behavior, their idleness is going to influence others to be, to be idle as well. And so Paul has this concern about, the, uh, about their, the behavior of others. Laziness actually is contagious. Did you know that? Actually, there was a, a study six years ago. There were some researchers that, that put this study on. They took 56 people and put them in certain scenarios, and they were measuring the, the, the impact of delay and effort on their hearts, their, their, their attitudes toward delay and effort. For example, they were asked this question, you know, something like this. So uh, you, you have to make a choice. You can get a small payoff in three days, or if you will wait three months, there'll be much higher payoff. Which one do you choose? And before you choose, we just want you to know that others have made this choice as well, and they would tell how a particular individual responded to the same question that they were getting ready to ask, and they began to notice a trend. That if people made the decision on their own, they made a decision one way. But if they knew somebody else made a different decision, they tended to go with the decision that somebody else had made. And what they found out was that there were certain behaviors that are contagious, that are affected by social influence. And they specifically found out that lazy people encourage other people to be lazy. And so, yes, laziness idleness, it is contagious. Hang around a lazy person, you may find yourself being lazy as they are. And if idleness is, is truly contagious, the best thing for you as a believer in Jesus Christ who doesn't want to be lazy is to be guarded about, about hanging around those who are lazy in their own lives. As Paul says, avoid them, keep away from them. Now for some of you, that may be, mean finding some other Christian friends to spend more time with. To, so that you can follow their example. Be more discerning about who you're hanging around. You also need to, be cons, be, be cons, uh, to consider how you are influencing others. If you're the lazy one, you may be leading others to be lazy too. So stop it. In fact, the next couple of words of instructions are for you if you're that lazy bum. All right, listen to this. Verse, Paul sa verse 7, Paul says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. So he's speaking to the idol. He's speaking to the lazy, the, the lazy bum. And he's saying, you know how you, you ought to be and how you ought to imitate us because we're, we were not idle when we were with you. Paul says, pretty much, I've told you this already. You know this already. You know what you're supposed to do. You're, you know what you ought to do. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You, you know you're supposed to be imitating the example that was lived out in front of you when we were with you some time ago. So what was Paul's example? Well, his example was simply this. We worked hard when we were around you. We worked hard in front of you Thessalonians. He wasn't idle. He wasn't lazy. In other words, Paul, what Paul told them to do was consistent with how he was living his life. Listen, I cannot stress how important this is for us as followers of Jesus Christ that we live consistently with what we say we believe. Can I tell you something that's never worked with my kids? Saying, do as I tell you to do and not as I, as I, as I actually live out. Do as I say and not as I do. So that they're the, my kids are the first ones to call me out when I say, you do this. And they say, well, you're not doing that, right? 
And so that, that doesn't fly. Why? Because nobody respects that. And, and people are resentful of it. When you see someone who is an authority over you living a life d- d- different than they're telling you to live, you resent that, don't you? You're like, well, why, why should I do that? You're not doing that. Why should I do that? And it's true in the home. It's true in the workplace. And friend, it's also true in the church. Paul is saying, don't be idle. Don't be lazy. Get busy and stay busy for the Lord. And, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you to do something that we ourselves weren't doing. You saw it. We lived it out in front of you. We have been busy for the Lord. We have been serving the Lord. We've worked hard for them. You saw it with your own eyes. So do what we did. He goes further. Look at verse 8. He said, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It's not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So so what's going on here? Paul Paul really seems to be going out of his way to point something out. And so let me just explain what he's referencing here. They would have known this intuitively. There was such a thing as an itinerant preacher or teacher in Paul's day. These were itinerant traveling teachers who would move from community after community after community. They would walk into a community, stop and teach, and then they would expect those that listened to them to give something in return. It might be a meal, it might be some kind of monetary gift, and then they would jet off to the next town. And it sort of gave the impression over time that these folks weren't in it for themselves. They weren't investing their lives in the local community. They were off to something more, and and they probably were. But Paul says, look, that's not who we are. That's not what we were like. We were on mission to you. We were going to move on. But he wanted to give the impression that he was just there for his own personal benefit. So he made sure that he covered all of his own expenses so that it wasn't a burden on these that he was trying to reach with the gospel. We know that Paul was a tent maker, so he's sort of a bivocational evangelist, a missionary, so he paid for his way along the way. He had some others that were probably financially supporting him. It's not to say, though, that Paul didn't believe that the church uh, didn't have a responsibility to support those in the ministry. We know this because when you go over to 1 Corinthians, Paul takes time to talk about that But since this time with these believers in Thessalonica were very short, he hadn't had the time to instruct them on all of that. He was just more intent on providing them an example with his life as to how they should follow. So so then what's the point then? Verses 7 through 9, what's Paul's point? Well, It's a strong word to those that have been a little lazy, and it's this. Here's the second point. Imitate hardworking people. If you're going to avoid the lazy bum... With that, you should imitate hardworking people. Imitate those that work. Get busy like they've been busy. Again, this is the corollary to the first point. You avoid hanging around lazy people and hang out instead with those who are diligently working and serving the Lord. When I was a kid in the little neighborhood I grew up with, uh, grew up in back in Kentucky, there was a kid who lived down the street by the name of Chuck. Chuck was one of those kids, if he was given a choice, over whether to do the right thing or to do the mischievous thing. He chose the mischievous thing every single time. So much so that when I would go out in the neighborhood and play, my mom may not know who I was hanging out with when I went out into the neighborhood, but when I came back, she could very quickly tell if I'd been hanging around Chuck or not. He affected me. He, he influenced me. And so I'd come back home, and on the days that I'd hung out with Chuck, it's more likely than not that I was more mischievous at home than if I'd hung out with some of the other kids in the neighborhood. And so, you know, my, my mom would call me, call me out on that. You know, children, they naturally and often copy those, uh, 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 the behavior of other children unconsciously, don't they? 
But you know what? So do adults. We, we can find ourselves doing that. We, we can be affected by those that we're spending time with for good or for bad. And so Paul's encouragement is to look upon those that are doing good and imitate them, follow them. And if you're one of these people that really, if, if you're, you get honest with yourself and you recognize that you struggle with laziness and idleness, look around. Find someone who doesn't struggle with it. Find someone who is busy for the Lord and begin to do what they do. And soon enough, you may find yourself moving out of that lazy state, moving past your laziness. But it's likely that you'll need some motivation to push you along. So Paul speaks to that. In fact, look at verse 10 again. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. By the way, I heard more amens when I read this earlier than anything else. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Amen. Yeah. I know why you're saying that. It's a response to what we see in so many lives today. Here Paul is beginning to take on directly the problem of Christians who are not wanting to work. He actually first touched on this in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, just sort of threw something out there, but now he's writing them again, and, and obviously it is a, still an issue, and, but maybe it, it, it seems like it's a bigger problem, so he's going to deal with it directly. And for whatever reason, some of these church members were being idle. They weren't working for some reason, and yet they were expecting other people to come along and take care of them. Now, again, we're not told explicitly what the problem was. There's been some, some speculation about this. One reason possible is that uh, they were confused about the return of Jesus and it led some people to believe that Jesus had already returned and if so if Jesus already come back why should we work why should we serve the church why should we we, we get busy we, we shouldn't work why, why share the gospel why do anything so it's possible that some of them are not working because they're just waiting for everything to just sort of wrap up why why, why should I toil another possible reason is that because of their faith in Christ because they were believers in Jesus, it may have cost them personally. They may have lost employment because they were Christians. And so fellow Christians who still had employment, who could take care of them, probably stepped up in a season of need to say, hey, don't you worry while you're out of, uh, out of work, while you're not able to make ends meet, I'm going to make sure that you have a roof over your head. I'm going to take care of you, make sure you have food in your belly. But some of these perhaps that had lost their jobs and were benefiting by the generosity of other Christians began to take advantage of that generosity. And they just kept hanging around the house and didn't look for other opportunities to, for gainful employment. And so that what, what had happened, one reason or another, whether it's because they thought Jesus had returned already or because they just liked sitting at home, they had lost their motivation to work. And so Paul offers them a little bit of motivation, and it's simply this. If you aren't willing to work, you don't eat. If you, don't, if you want food in your belly, you got to get busy. By the way, he doesn't say if you can't work, you don't eat. He says... If, you, uh, are, 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 if you're not willing, you can't eat. You know, we know sometimes working is hard for some people. It's impossible, maybe from a, a physical need or a mental condition. Maybe you just can't find a job. So can't is not the same thing as won't. Understand? It, 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 can't is not the same thing as unwilling. And Paul's problem is with those who are unwilling to work. You've got to remember, Paul himself had taken a lot of effort, a lot of time to raise money to support poor Christians who were in the church back in Jerusalem because their faith had cost them dearly and it cost them economically. They lost jobs because they were Christians. And so Paul, because they were having trouble supporting themselves, had began to collect an offering to take care of people that could not work, even though they tried to work. But that's not what's going on in Thessalonica. 
They had quit work. They had lost their work. They were enjoying the break. And so they just kept on not working. Does that sound a little familiar? I mean, you know, we, we, we had such a, a similar dust up in the, uh, as in the follow-up of the pandemic. We know how the government began to provide extra benefits to the unemployed who were unemployed because of the shutdowns. And uh, in many, many cases, we, we know that it, it began to pay more for some people to sit at home than go to work. And I don't know if that bothered you, that bothered me. I, I understand some people that were trying to, to, to do well by their family, but just the idea that someone would sit at home and not work when they were able body, it bothered me. I'm sure it bothered many of you. What had happened was we saw that employers began to have trouble retaining employees. Uh, good, strong, healthy employees began to back away from their jobs because it was we paid more to stay at home and businesses started shorting their hours and we saw how that affected our entire economy. And honestly, I think that broke our society a little bit, if not a lot. It's a huge blow to the work ethic in this country. I don't know if we'll ever recover from it, but we basically were incentivizing idleness. But, you know, just recently I was driving north of here, uh, heading to Jacksonville. I came across uh, a restaurant sign uh, somebody had posted. This sort of shows me I think we're not over it. So he posted a sign outside this business that said this, now hiring people willing to work. Can you imagine a sign like that 10 years ago, five years ago? We actually have reached a time where we have to say, hey, we're hiring people, but if, you, if, if we're going to pay you a paycheck, you're actually going to have to do something, right? But so we are in this time. I'm just going to tell you, there, there's no excuse for being a lazy bum. There's just not. It makes you a leech. It means it's all about you taking and not giving. And really, there's no place for it in society, and there's certainly no place for it in the church. That's why Paul was saying, look, I'm, I'm not going to have any of this. That's why he laid down a common sense rule. If you're not willing to work, you don't eat. Paul's pretty much saying, hey, lazy Christian, listen to me. No one owes you a thing. No one. Get to work, earn your way, or you're going to suffer the consequences. All, it was all about motivating him, which is really the next charge. Here, verse 10 is really about this charge, get motivated. If you're struggling with laziness, you need some motivation. Paul made it very clear, if you don't work, you don't eat. Get yourself motivated. And here's some motivation. If you don't work, you don't have a place to lay your head, you don't have the ability to meet your obligations. In other words, there will be no reward for your labor if there's no labor. There's no reward for your labor if you won't work. Then Paul says, verse 11, For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Paul's making a little bit of play on words here. Walking in idleness didn't just mean laziness. It meant being busybodies. You know what a busybody is? You ever been around a busybody? A busybody is someone who has so much time on their hands that they keep themselves busy by meddling in somebody else's business. That's what Paul's talking about here. Uh, some have, uh, have uh, compared busybodies to mules. You know, when, when mules are pulling, they can't kick. Uh, but when they're kicking, they can't pull. And that's, that's really what a busybody is. That when, they're, when they're not busy doing good, they're busy meddling. And they're also often meddling in somebody else's business. You know, when somebody, uh, from time to time, we don't have much of this much anymore, but when somebody comes to me with a complaint about something around the church, you know one of the, one of the first things I want to know? I want to know, are they serving somewhere in the life of the church? You know, it's not that their complaint, if they're not serving, isn't valid. But I'm going to tell you, somebody who is, who's got skin in the game at our church, 
who's serving at a door, greeting people when they come in, or singing in the choir, or working with children over in our next-gen ministry, if they have a complaint and come to me, I, I want to listen, because I know they, they care, and they're not being lazy. I want to, if, if they have a complaint and they're serving, I, I tend to listen to them more than if they're not serving at all. Again, that's not to say that the others, their complaints are invalid, but if they are serving, if they are working, they're less likely to be busybodies. They're less likely to be meddling. Now, Paul has a command for busybodies. It's a word of encouragement for us all. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So to those who are busy getting into the business of others, Paul pretty much is telling them, look, you need to quiet down and get to work. That's pretty much what he's saying. And that's what he means when he's telling them to do your work quietly and to earn your own living. By the way, that's what's expected of all of us. We're all, whether we're, whether we're the one that Paul would say you're idle or the one who's actually imitating Paul and getting busy in the life of the church and serving and living and taking care of their family, we're all expected to do these things and to do it quietly and faithfully. We should pay our own way if we can. We should not be a burden on others. And we should keep at it. We should not grow weary in doing good. Never tire of doing the good thing and doing what is right. Now this is especially directed at those who have not gotten lazy. Others may have chosen to sit. Others may have chosen to stay on the sideline. Others have let others serve while they stay behind. Paul says, but you didn't. You've been doing the right thing, so keep on doing the right thing and don't stop doing the right thing. Here, here's Paul's point here. It's the final point. We, we should get busy and keep busy doing good. That's what Paul's telling us to do. Get busy and keep busy doing good. It's an encouragement for all of us. You know, way too many people give up on doing the good work and doing the right thing. You know, well, many Christians, they don't share the gospel, so we, we may think, well, why should we? I mean, there are plenty who don't, don't keep up with their fellow Christians and, 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 and care for them. Why should we? We, we? They don't, many are not serving. Why do I have to serve? Many don't bother to financially support the church. Why should I give? You see, we cannot let a few of those who are walking in idleness encourage us to follow their example. We should get busy doing the right thing and keep doing the, the right thing for the Lord. Now listen, I, I know this message seems a little odd and out of place. I mean, we've been, as we've been going through this entire series, this one sort of sticks out as odd, does it not? Just a little bit? I mean, we, we, we've talked throughout this, this second letter of, of Paul to the Thessalonians. We talked about Jesus' return. We've talked about judgment, the day of judgment. We've talked about the, the man of lawlessness. We've talked about standing firm in, in the face of persecution and, and struggle and stress. But Paul is wrapping up this letter, and one of the last things he wants to talk about is idleness. What, what, what gives here? And I'm reminded of a, of a visit I made to the dump about six years ago this month. Did, did you know that today is the six-year anniversary of Hurricane Irma coming through here? Six years ago today it happened. And afterwards, we, we had so much yard rubbish from the trees around our house, and it, just, it was a truckload uh, that we had. So I, I took that truck to the, to the dump, and they, so many people trying to get on the dump, they were sending people all over the dump. They chose me to go to the top of the dump, right? I affectionately refer to that as Mount Marion. Have you ever seen it? It is the highest point in all of Marion County. Well, when I, I, I got to the top, I, honestly, I saw one of the saddest sights I've seen, I saw at that time in a long time. 
And sitting on top of that, that pile of waste and filth and refuge, uh, refuse were, were three bald eagles sitting perched up high on top of that mount. They're, they, you know what they were doing? They're sitting there waiting for garbage scraps. And that just didn't sit right with me. If you've ever watched an eagle fly, there is something majestic about it. And, and what made it sad for me is just to see them, that they weren't fulfilling what they were created to do. Did you know that eagles can fly, I've been told, up to 15,000 feet high? That they can fly at speeds under their own wing strength of 30 miles an hour, but, and they can spot a prey like a mile down below them, and then they can swoop down upon their prey at, at speeds nearing 100 miles an hour. Eagles are majestic birds. They've been revered throughout history. They've been considered sacred by many, many cultures. Even in our own country, it is a national symbol of our own nation. Eagles are supposed to fly. They're supposed to soar. They're supposed to hunt. They're not supposed to sit idly by a, 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 a dump and just waiting for scraps to arrive. That, that's beyond what they were created for. That's not what they were created to do. Well, friend, I'm telling you, the same is true for you and me. We were not created to sit and to be idle. God has created us in His image to know Him and to be known by Him, but He's also created us to work like He worked. You go back to the creation story and you, you learn that for six days God Himself labored, right? Then on the seventh day that He rested. We're also told that when he created Adam and he created Eve, that he, he, he gave Adam a job and a place to work. We're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he, after he blessed Adam, he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then we're told in the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 15, that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I say this to you to remind you that work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. And it can be a holy thing. That's because when we work and we give our all in putting our hand to the plow, we are reflecting the one who created us to work. The one himself who worked. And so I say to you this based on this, this message that Paul is delivering to the Thessalonians and now 2,000 years later being delivered to you and to me Let's get busy working. And let's do good by getting busy doing good. I also feel that it's important to say this, that knowing God and being known by Him is not something that happens automatic. So shortly after God gave the, the command to Adam and, and to, to put him in the garden and to work that garden, we do know that a great tragedy befell Adam, befell his wife Eve, and has really affected all of us. We know that Adam and Eve, you know the story, disobeyed God and they were cast out of God's presence. doesn't mean that work was over. It didn't mean that work got harder. If you read the story in Genesis 3, uh, that they would, they would, part of the curse of their sin was that they would have to work even harder than they did before. But my point is, is that even though God had called them and created them to know Him and to be known by Him and to work for Him, Sin entered into their lives and it affected them and all of us. And now all of us are separated from God. And it means that we can be affected in all kinds of ways because of our sin, including the sin of laziness. But the only solution for you and for me to recover what was lost by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is that we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ 
based upon what he did for us upon the cross, upon Mount, Mount Calvary a long time ago. The Bible tells us that because we were sinners, Christ died in our place. He died for us so that anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved from their sin. And when you, when you trust Jesus, believing that he is the one true God, that he died for you, that he was buried, that he came back to life for the, redemption of, for, for the forgiveness of our sins and for the redemption of our souls, that when you trust him and turn to him in faith, that he will save you and redeem you, and you can recover what was lost in the garden, the ability to know God and be known by him. And yes, to begin to live your life so that you might work for him. So I want to challenge you. If you do not yet know Jesus Christ, that today be the day that you recognize that you are separated from God because of your sin and that only Jesus can can forgive you of your sin and based on that, that you turn to him in faith, in belief. Will you trust him, receive him, receive his forgiveness, begin to live your life for him and yes, begin to work for him? The conclusion of our service, which is about to happen, We're going to have an opportunity for you, if you're here today and you do not know Christ, but you would like to, if you'd like to be forgiven of your sin, to find that forgiveness and to find that relationship with Jesus. If you'll see to my my right, to your left, is a cross, and we're going to have a pastor standing there at the conclusion of our service. And if you're here today and know that the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you, bringing conviction upon your life, and you would like to find Jesus and find his salvation today, before you leave, go speak to the pastor standing at the cross. Because I'm telling you, you won't just find a pastor standing at the cross. You'll find Jesus today. And he's ready to save you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the word. And again, Lord, I thank you for a church that knows how to work. Lord, I don't know how we would accomplish the great task of ministry and mission that this church pulls off week in and week out and year after year were it not for the faithful and hardworking commitment of so many of our church family. That's not to say, Lord, that there's not much work that, is, that, that uh, is being accomplished. There's lots that need to be done, but we don't have everyone stepping up to serve. We also know, Lord, that there are some who are just struggling completely with laziness. They have the ability to get up, to go out, to earn a job, to serve you in the workplace. But for one reason or another, they're sitting at home wasting away. Maybe they're, they're living with a parent or a grandparent and living off of their generosity instead of taking the strength, the God-given ability and talent and, and availability to get out and to work. Lord, I pray you bring conviction upon their heart. Lord, let them become a, a productive member of society if for no other reason that they might bring you glory by honoring you with their work. But Lord, whatever you call us to do, we pray that you enable us and strengthen us to do it. And I pray particularly for those who do not yet know you, that today would be a day that they find the convicting work of your spirit upon them as they recognize that they're far from you because of their sin. And at the same time, by your spirit, would you draw them to you, to salvation, that they may repent and believe in you for the forgiveness of their sins. And then they will then be able to get busy serving you, doing good. This we ask, Lord, and may it be to the honor and the glory of your name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.